G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne, the 3CR, on the stolen lands of the Wundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to our elders, past, present and emerging. Stick Together is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation. Today, we look at the moves by Patrick Stevert Oil and Company to wipe out the Enterprise Agreement on their sites across Australia following the strategy used by a Queensland rail company, Horizon, in 2015. Horizon convinced the Fair Work Commission to tear up a dozen agreements it had previously struck with unions. The argument used was that the existing EBA undermined the competitiveness of the company. The contentious issues included things like maternity leave and quotas for the employment of apprentices, a decision which has impoverished the industrial landscape and the future of workers ever since, mandating that the only interest workers should have when it comes to bargaining with bosses should only relate to wages and hours of work, and that the interests of business is paramount. The new Patrick dispute is the next round in this nation-changing battle. We follow with a look at the deadliest industry in Australia, trucking, and the new milestone of a 1,000 deaths since the dismantling of the Road Safety Renumeration Tribunal. You're listening to Stick Together, Worker Stories and Union News, broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. In the lead-up to the next federal election, corporations, Qantas, towage firms, Sutsa, a subsidiary of the massive international logistics corporation, Manx, and Patrick's national stevedoring company are rushing to decimate enterprise bargaining agreements, calibrating the wages and conditions of their staff by removing or making a mockery of the bargaining element of enterprise negotiations. Despite corporations leaning heavily on the public purse during the COVID pandemic, with many making unprecedented profits, the desire to crush conditions and wages to base rate awards is the aim of these corporate sharks. The mechanism is the Fair Work Commission, which allows businesses to apply for the termination of agreements and reverting to basic award conditions if it is shown that negotiations have reached an intractable situation. Recently, renowned corporate aggressor Qantas applied to the Fair Work Commission to terminate the agreement covering flight attendants who work on its international flights as a last resort to change restrictive and outdated roster processes, it said. Patrick's, the national stevedoring company, has followed suit. In today's program, we hear a message of support to the Maritime Workers of Australia being held to ransom by Patrick's from the International Dock Workers Council, who put out a video of support messages from Asia, America, Europe and Africa, showing that this attack on workers in Australia is a line in the sand for workers in an international industry where corporate interests are working to shift more of the world's wealth into their pockets disguised as a necessary attack on workers' wages and conditions. 
We follow with a conversation with Kevin Bracken, a delegate at a Patrick site, for a worker's view of what is happening. Good morning, brothers and sisters of the MUA. My name is Dennis Daggett. I am an officer and a member of the ILA. I also serve on the International Dock Workers Council. First off, I would like to congratulate you and thank you for your courageous efforts during the pandemic. Like most longshore dockers and wharfies around the globe, we kept our countries moving and our economies healthy during one of the worst crises we've seen in the last 120 years. To hear that Patrick Stevedores is manipulating this situation, <clears throat> holding the economy in Australia hostage, and coming after you and your jobs makes me disgusted and angry. I want to share this message of solidarity with you and each and every member of the MUA. I was proud to be there with you at your convention and speak in front of hundreds, hundreds of delegates. It was an honor and a privilege. I want you to know that each and every member and officer of the ILA and the IDC are there with you, standing strong. You were inspiring to all of us across the globe with your fight in Fremantle. Please do not get disheartened. Do not put your head down. Stand strong. Keep your chin up and your chest out because you are the MUA. And remember, we have your back. And thank you. You're a delegate for the MUA for the members uh, working for Patrick's. Can you give us an idea about what's going on at your level of um, EBA negotiations? What's going on? Well, we started negotiating about uh, two years ago. Um, we held negotiations. We had a meeting, I think, in February 20, um, 2020, it would have been. Um, uh, following that, the company produced this document, which was like a... Um, they said, we're not going to negotiate from the current agreement now. We're going to... This is a reduce. We're going to have a, a um, new document. We're going to discuss it from there. All right. So what you so what you're saying is that all the conditions and wages and all the rest of it were off the table. Is that what they were saying? Well, they they just made a document which made 67 changes to our current agreement, which made it completely different. You know, we've got a current agreement to um, you know the company's got a commitment to permanent labour that had gone. Um, the amount of weekends people everyone was working was nearly doubled. Um, you know, it was just a horror thing. It was some of the IR person's wet dream, you know, and said, if I had everything I could wish, that's what I'd do. So we probably wasted six months going through that document. At the end of it, um, we said no to just about all the clauses. At the same time, too, the company was saying, oh, well, maybe we'll have a rollover. They offered us a rollover at the very start, but with a different roster. And um, if you work in shift work, your roster's sort of your whole life. So, um, yeah, it wasn't an actual rollover. You know, and then they produced this document with a completely different from what we've got. So t so tell me about the um, types of rosters that they, they wanted to change it to. Did they want longer rosters? Or... Oh, no, they had they had changed the days from weekdays to weekend days. No change to the amount of the salary. But you were working, you know, maybe twice as many Saturdays and Sundays and you're having more days off through the week. And there was no no money difference in there. It was, the hours were the same, but it was a, it was the um, bank up. There was more weekends. There was some more straight midnights. Uh, oh, there was a lot more midnights in there. So you either work day shift, you're twilight, or you're a regular. 
and the regulars virtually night shift every time you're getting a regular get picked up on a, on a midnight shift. So what you're saying is that for people who've got families, this becomes very arduous. Exactly right. If you you can't take the kids to the footy every, every you know, just watch them play footy or you know do their sport or have time with them on the weekend because you you'll be working. You'll be working more on the weekend than what you will be through the week. But there was no monetary gain, and the money money was for no monetary gain at all. And what happens the way the the family can't even see it. But the other thing is too, is the way our roster is now, we don't have any idle time. So if we don't work a Sunday, we owe the company twenty hours. If we don't work a Saturday, we owe them sixteen hours. So what would happen? Because you're not always working every weekend. If there's no ship, you know you're working. If there's ships in there. If there's no ships, you're not working. You, you would owe them those hours. You'd owe them those hours. And that, that when they reckon Sunday is 20 hours because that's the amount of money you'd be paid per hour, right? That's right. It works on you know double time an hour for Sunday, double time uh, Saturday. So if you didn't work a Saturday, you owed 16. If you didn't work a Sunday, you owed 20 hours. So you could, you could, have, you could be rostered on Saturday, Sunday, not work, and then over the company 36 hours, so you'd have to virtually work, you know, all week to pay it back. And at the end of the year, <laughs> at the end of the year, you had to pay them back the hours you hadn't worked. You'd end up working a year and then own the company. <laughs> so, so we totally rejected it, and then um, we had more negotiations. And anyway, we we weren't getting anywhere, so we started taking protected action. Um, we took. You know, limited things. We weren't walking out for you know days on end, but we'd have a say a four-hour stoppage. Sometimes we had an eight-hour stoppage. Some there was twenty-four-hour stoppage, but they were spread out. So we, and that's the other thing. If the company says you're doing economic harm to the you know, national economy, they can come in and stop it straight away. So probably about three or four times, a company had gone to the government and said, you know, this is causing harm to the economy, and the liberals, you know, were right on board about it. They made accusations that there was 40 ships lined up at Port Botany. And um, I think Paul Garrett, one of the city organisers, said, well, because I was saying they were going to bring in the army to, because um, the wharfies aren't working, they got 40 ships lined up. He said, we well, don't need the army, you need the navy. And they said, why is that? He said, because to find those 40 ships. Some of them hadn't left Singapore or Shanghai. <laughs> I think there was one ship waiting to come in. It's just total fabrication. Yeah, and this is what's upset the blokes so much because we've been working through COVID, and um, the companies instead of you know saying good on you, they've been rubbing us in the in the media, you know, coming out saying oh we get Milo and you know, you know we get this or that and the other, and we're doing on exorbitant wages. You know we're working, we're getting good money because we're working Saturday, Sundays, midnights, twenty four hours a day. The only day we don't work is Christmas Day. And instead of coming down and negotiating with us, all they were doing was slagging off about us in the newspaper. Now, with uh, Patrick, they've offered you uh, an unacceptable EBA and they're not budging. So they, And now they're, they're going to go to the Fair Work Commission to say that it's uh, we can't come up with a, a proper uh, outcome and so we want to clean the slate and go back to the award. Yeah, we'll go back to the award. Yeah. Well... That's what's happened, is that they've gone and said that, um, and this is the, it was used first by about, by Origin probably six years ago, 
the terminating agreement. And you know, the whole idea of it was just if there was an agreement, no one was working their money, so we want to terminate the agreement. And they were successful in getting Morrison um, back on the award. So now they've applied for us. Not only that, Qantas has now used it, and also Svisa, which looks after the main tug company in Australia, is trying to do exactly the same thing too. And the trouble is, the award's not what it was 30 years ago. 30 years ago, our award had 76 clauses in it. In the Fair Work Act, they had the, they did the modernisation of awards, so everything was cut back to 20 bare conditions. And the wages are back where they were 30 years ago. So when you're working for, I mean, it's a composite rate, so we get paid an all-in rate. So if you're, if you're a permanent worker and you're on a salary, you're working somewhat $60 an hour, this will go back to $25 an hour. No roster. No roster at all. No roster, no. So currently we've got a roster with the EBA, you know, where everything's been worked out, and it's working fine. The company's been making money. They've made they've made um, terrific profits, over 20% profits in the last financial year, and um, all they've done is slagged off in the media about their workforce and said they haven't haven't been able to negotiate. They haven't been able to negotiate because they haven't negotiated at all. When we say they're taking protected action, the company says, well, we're not meeting with you. All they want to do is have a meeting with the um, our senior you know, management and they make an agreement and then the next day they turn over it. They came back with an agreement two weeks ago and said, you know, this is what the agreement is. We went back and reported, reported that to the members on the weekend and then before, what, still on midnight shift on um, Sunday night, some of the blokes are saying, well, the agreement's been withdrawn. It's come back through the, through the managers there and they didn't agree to it. So what we've negotiated and told the members it was the offer on um, on the weekend is now no longer the offer. So I've got no doubt they just want to get us into the commission, you know, and strip us back to the you strip us back not 30 years, it'll be going back 100 years. So and it would also be a disaster for the company too because they wouldn't be able to work. I mean, in our ward we're working 35 hour weeks, so we're working a seven hour day. So it's just going to be madness for the company too. And the, the thing is that the company's made money and yet they haven't negotiated with us at all. They've just tried to do everything through the media and with the support of the government. They haven't done bargained in good faith at all. So it's very disappointing for the members. The morale's not good. As well as that, there's a lot uh, more restrictions on people now with COVID. I mean, there's anyone who's contacted COVID or has got COVID is off work. You know, every time you go on the machine, you've got to clean it down. So, and the morale's not good with the uh, members. So, it's not good for the not good for our for the company, for their business, and it's not good for our members' livelihood or their health or anything else either. Actually, it's not very good for the Australian society or or our future as an industrial uh, landscape, is it? It is so regressive that you'd think in twenty twenty two. We're still doing the same things we used to do in the convict days, you know. You're treating people as servants, not as in, not as anymore as you know dignified human beings. And I'll tell you, the whole dignity of work has just been taken away. You know, where CEOs are getting between ten and twenty million dollars a year, and yet the people actually perform the work are getting a pittance. What are your members um, going to do now? What's going to happen? What's happening? Well. We'll do what we're always done. We'll actually go back and have a meeting with each other and talk about our next course of action. So 
but the two, when the when the um, we're in the being in the commission trying to negotiate an agreement the, in the commission they've heard out last week of what the offer was, and now before you know, the weekend's over, we're going to come back and now they've withdrawn what they'd already what they'd already discussed. So it gets very hard when you negotiate with some of the managers there, and then the people from the board come in and overrule and say no, you can't do it. We haven't had a, a part A meeting for 18 months. If you want to negotiate an agreement, you actually get together with the people who are actually in the room who have been authorised to take to take action and have the power to take action and not do it through just a few talking heads. It makes a mockery of the idea of um, uh, negotiating in good faith. They haven't negotiated in good faith at all. I mean, we want to make an agreement. Every time they come in and say, you know, we're, we're um, within the, can we make an agreement? They just pull it back again. And we've got no doubt they want to turn the clock back you know, where it was 100 years ago. They don't want employees anymore. They want servants. And they're not going to get them off us. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. Last week, a truck driver died on the Newell Highway in New South Wales when his truck rolled and caught fire after hitting a tree. His death brings the total number of truck-related fatalities in 2022 to 14. Remember, we're only in January. The Transport Workers Union is pushing again for the federal government to revisit regulation of Australia's deadliest industry to reinstate the Road Safety Remuneration Tribunal. I spoke to Ian McIntosh, the Assistant Secretary of the Transport Workers Union, the TWU. You've just uh, put out a, a statement around um, a fairly awful uh, statistic, which is that uh, since the um, Road Safety Tribunal was squashed, We've now reached a thousand uh, deaths in the trucking industry. Can you talk to us a little bit about why these two issues are connected? Yes, yeah, sure. So um, uh, the, the the Gillard government um, legislated in 2012 uh, to create the Road Safety Remuneration Tribunal. Now, now this is a tribunal that had the power to hold the top of the supply chain to account. So uh, to make sure that, that the big wealthy retailers, manufacturers, miners, anyone that uses transport is actually held to account and couldn't just squeeze down transport operators and, and right at the end of the chain, transport workers. So it meant that they that they uh, that whenever they were awarding contracts, they would have to make sure that there were things like cost recovery for transport operators, workers would get paid properly, uh, and and that things like safety um, were ta- and the way that work would be performed were taken into consideration. So groundbreaking stuff uh, that would have been able to tackle a lot of these pressures that exist in the transport industry. Unfortunately, um, in a in a brazen political move, uh, about a month before the 2016 election, there, there was a decision made by that tribunal um, that some people didn't properly understand. Uh, it was made into a political issue. And the Turnbull government, right on the stroke of the election, uh, managed to, to rush a bill through the Senate uh, that abolished the Road Safety Remuneration Tribunal. And, of course, they wanted to um, uh, try and say how great a move this was and it was going to destroy the transport industry. So they got, I believe it was 
uh, PwC to, to do a report as to what the impact of keeping the RSRT would be. And unfortunately for the government, the PwC report showed that there would have been a 28% reduction in road deaths had the RSRT uh, stayed in existence. So, of course, what that means is we've now clocked a 1,000 deaths since the abolishment of the RSRT about five and a half years ago. That means 280 Australians, truck drivers, mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, would still be alive uh, right now if that tribunal had remained in place. So there's literally blood on the government's hands regarding this issue. Now, that's not just truck drivers either. No. So, so there's been a 1,000 deaths as a result of heavy vehicle accidents the majority of which um, uh, are members of the, of the general public uh, that have, uh, that have um, uh, unfortunately died as a result of these uh, truck crashes. So um, we're talking about 280 Australians, just the community in general, whose lives would have been saved had this tribunal still been in existence today. The whole point of the tribunal, it was to hold the top end of town to account to make sure that every truck driver, whether an employee or independent contractor, or in fact transport operators with a number of employees or, or independent contractors engaged to them, would have gotten a fair go, would have been able to uh, make sure that any contract that they had uh, provided for cost recovery so that they could make money out of, these, uh, out of these contracts. I mean, we've seen even the biggest transport companies over the last five years tell us stories where they've had to go in and bid on work uh, where they're losing money because it's preferable to have a contract losing money than it is to lose that contract and have to somehow get rid of all your uh, all your fleet, pay out all redundancies uh, and all the rest of it. I mean, that's the state this industry is, and that's the biggest transport company. So you can only imagine the pressure that your mum and dad, owner driver, owner operator, is under when they. I mean, how can they possibly uh, get a get a fair go and get fair uh, working conditions and a fair contract? from when they're negotiating with the top end of town, when all the top end of town can do is say, well, you know, if you don't like it, you don't have to do it. I mean, that, that, that's, that's fundamentally what, uh, what happens. It's, uh, it's not fair. And, of course, this, this tribunal uh, would have the ability to hold the big end of town or account and make sure that all transport workers and operators got a fair go. With COVID, it's been, the uh, heat's been uh, turned up, hasn't it? Because the same kind of approach where you've got a government that doesn't uh, sally its mind with the details, uh, is coming up with plans for dealing with the uh, problem of uh, uh, supply chain um, issues with uh, COVID. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, uh, and, and um, of course, I should start by saying that transport workers, along with, of course, um, uh, nurses and healthcare workers and anyone on the front line in this pandemic, are really the heroes of the last two years. These are the people who have kept this country moving when a lot of people have been able to work from home or, or have not been able to uh, leave their houses because they're susceptible to, to uh, COVID. These are the people that kept going. They kept going at a time where there were no vaccines available, of course. Um, and a, the Prime Minister on, on many occasions takes great pride in acknowledging these are the heroes and the frontline workers and all the rest of it. But, uh, but he, he, uh, he's all talk and, and, and no action, or, or when it's action, it's to, uh, it's to try and cut the livelihoods and potentially lifespans of these people short. What we've seen uh, is, is, of course, and the tragedy of all, of all this is it could have been prevented, is that in, as early as June, July last year, the Transport Workers Union and... Uh, and transport bodies representing employers wrote to the Prime Minister saying um, 
you're going to have supply chain issues unless you adopt our roadmap. Of course, a major plank being get as many free rapid engine tests as you possibly can uh, so that we've got these ready to go um, to make sure that our supply chains are as safe as they can be. Um, we heard nothing. We sent another letter in September, heard nothing. Another one in October, heard nothing. It wasn't until November that we got a very arrogant response back basically saying, it's all under control now, don't worry about it. And of course, at that point, it looked like we'd, we'd seen off, uh, off COVID. Um, but, and, and, uh, and of course, what's now happened over Christmas New Year is that we've had this Omicron wave. It's wiped out, in some cases, over 30% of some transport workforces, which, of course, has had huge supply chain consequences, which every Australian can see with, with no stock on the, uh, on the supermarket shelves. And, of course, the response from the government, rather than admitting its failure, rather than trying to desperately get the supply of RATs uh, into the country, which would have helped this, uh, has been to say, oh, well, what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll change definitions. So we'll, we'll make sure people isolate for less time. Uh, we'll, we'll take a, ha- a sledgehammer to workplace health and safety rights of transport workers, basically saying to people, just, just come into work until you drop, uh, is essentially their, their, um, their, their mantra. And it's meant that, um, uh, that, that the normal things that were happening, deep cleans when people were positive, um, have not happened. And we've heard all sorts of stories about people when they're COVID positive just being told to come in and just keep driving because we need you. And this is what's happened uh, because the government has paid no attention and ignored us and the uh, and the industry. And, of course, now we see proposals about... We saw this proposal about having 16-year-olds drive forklifts that was hit on the head. And now they want to just drop licensing requirements without any form of consultation with the industry. Now they're talking about getting New Zealand heavy vehicle drivers in here who have never driven on Australian roads just to come in and, and, and carry the load and drive, you know, B-doubles up and down highways that they've never done before. Um, crazy stuff and knee-jerk stuff that's going to have ramifications for the community. Uh, and, of course, uh, is all because they just completely ignored any preparation advice. So, once again, this government has failed transport workers and is just coming up with whatever knee-jerk solution they can think of to try and get them out of a mess. Australia's deadly industry made more dangerous. Well, that's exactly right. You, you, you're on the money. It, it, it's already the deadliest industry in the country. We've already seen a thousand deaths uh, in transport, some of which could have been prevented had this government uh, kept in place the tribunal they abolished. Uh, then they ignore advice from not only from workers, but from the industry telling them what they have to do to keep supply chains running. Uh, and now we see supply chain crisis where the answer uh, just appears to be whatever stopgap measure we can come up with, um, that, that with no regard whatsoever to the health and safety uh, of transport workers and their families. So um, it, it's, 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 I can't say we're surprised given the government's track record, but it's extremely disappointing and potentially life-threatening to some people. That's it for Stick Together this week. You can catch up with the show at 3cr.org.au or where you get your favourite podcasts. Contact us at sticktogether at 3cr.org.au. I'm Annie McLaughlin. Join the Stick Together team next week for more workers' news. And remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And stick together and stay safe.